We are continuing our series, uh, Transform Like Christ, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, follow with me as we, as we um, read, beginning in chapter 4, starting at verse 24 in the book of Ephesians. Uh, those verses are in the back of your program. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you do, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear you. Hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the life change that takes place when we read it and obey it and apply it to our lives. Today, Lord, may we see that power evident and that desire in each one of us to become more like you. We thank you for your presence here today and these next moments of time as they tick They're never coming back again. So may we take full advantage of them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago, you heard me talk about uh, that I purchased a new study Bible. It's the Chuck Swindoll New Living Translation Study Bible. I did it on purpose because going into the new year, I wanted to um, read through a new Bible, mark it up um, for a new beginning. Anyway... In the study Bible, Chuck Swindoll has different kinds of notes in there, study notes, um, uh, different applications, etc. He wrote something in um, one of the pages that caught my eye recently, and I think it's applicable to what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. So uh, here we go, as Chuck Swindoll gives this word. He says, on a windswept beach 8,000 miles from home, I realized God was leading me into the ministry. I had fought it and resisted it for some time. When I finally surrendered to that awesome call of God, I told a man who was discipling me that I was now convinced I should study to go into the ministry. And I'll never forget the way he took me by both shoulders and looked me squarely in the eye. And he said, Chuck, I hope you are ready for your heart to be broken. Little did I realize how true what he said is. Pastors defect. People redefine terms so they can live pleasurably in disobedience. It has reached epidemic proportions. The root of it all is depravity. In a world that caters to giving pleasure, there's an attitude of permissiveness that can easily adopt. Once we embrace a permissive way of thinking, then of course we have to deal with the fallout, which is guilt. That's why... When someone chooses not to change to fit God's standards, he or she must concoct a rationalization for ignoring his holiness. 
When we rationalize, we come to the place where we feel entitled to rebel. I am brokenhearted over the number of men and women who willfully and with premeditation choose to rebel against God. Isaiah 64, 6 says we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Depravity is at the base of our nature. We were born with it. It is a cesspool of sewage pipe that continues to pour forth corruption and wrong. Depravity brings up in a person such things as wicked thoughts, a loose tongue, a wandering eye, filthy language, a violent nature, sexual abuse and perversion, a rebellious spirit, selfishness, pride, a lack of discipline, a lack of gratitude, a lack of honesty, a lack of humility, and a lack of purity. All of these and many more stem from the depravity with which we are diseased. We have a deep within us a magnet for evil. As King David wrote in Psalm 51.5, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. That sinful nature will never leave nor be improved throughout this life, no matter how much we love God. It will always be there pulsating, looking to be satisfied. If we question that, we are just a thought away from falling into some sin. We must remain aware of the nature within us if we're ever going to deal with it. Because we've got a sinful nature that loves to rebel against God, if you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, I can offer you no hope. You can try all kinds of self-help programs, all kinds of good plans and resolutions, and you will fail miserably. You will never accomplish good in the eyes of God apart from faith in Christ. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. When we give ourselves to Jesus by faith, God gives us a new nature, not in place of the old nature, but alongside it. And for the first time, there is inside us a battle between two natures. And this morning, some of you are living through that. You experience that battleground of good and evil pulling at you. The old nature with which we were born is still there, still looking for satisfaction in a world that continues to bring up things that are appealing. But now, with the promise of Jesus, there is a new nature that resides with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. God's holy nature wars against the old sinful nature. Maybe you're living two lives. This is what Paul was writing about in Ephesians 4. Two lives. Perhaps you live one life that is known and accepted and expected and you live an entirely different life in your own thoughts and your private actions. As a child of God, you need to repent and turn back to his holy character and to walk humbly with him. God has made that power available to do just that. Let the Spirit of God take control. Guide your thoughts, clean up your life, and direct your decisions. Let the Spirit of God whom the Lord has given you counteract that old nature. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And Chuck concludes with, walk in his power, it's there for that reason. This morning we're looking at this particular text. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. When you read the text, you see that there's compromise going on. There People who put their faith in Christ, they carried their old nature with them 
and they, they didn't let it go. They're living in those two natures. And I want to tell you something. If you're a follower of Christ and you're living a compromised life, you are most miserable. Because I've been there. It is when you put your faith in Christ and you endeavor to model his character that his power is released to enable you to walk in victory. There is nothing like walking in victory. I don't know anybody who plays sports on a, on a playing field and they say, I hope we lose this game. You know, I, w- I practice so hard to lose this game. That's not normal. Too many Christians are living their lives to lose the game of life. Why? Because they are not allowing the power of Jesus Christ to be lived out through them. It's in you. Let him live his life through you and experience that victory. There is nothing like walking in victory, man. The taste of victory. We need to develop that. And God wants that in our lives. So, Paul, writing to the church, number one in your notes, the first thing he says is you put on Christ. Put him on. Man, that's what it's cool about water baptism. You know, you're putting on Christ, you're going public. It's, it's a demonstration of what God has done on the inside. It's an outward expression. And so, Paul says you put on Christ. Verse 24, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Why were you created? Why Why does God keep you on this planet once you put your faith in Christ? Because he wants you to become like him. That's pretty simple, isn't it? What is God's will for your life? God's will for your life very simply is for you to become like him, to be holy, to be righteous. Paul's addressing the church because it wasn't happening. Yeah, there were people that were all in, but there are also people with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And it's no fun. It's no fun. And so, Paul reminds us even in Philippians 2.13, hey, it's not you trying to be more holy or righteous. Listen, people tried that and they fail every time. You can't do it on your own friend. You need the power of Christ. And Paul says that in Philippians 2, 13, for God is working in you. For God is working in you. Man, that's, that's, that's uh, material for a, a high five or a bump or whatever you want to call it, man. God is working in you. He's working in you. Why? Because he loves you. He's working in you. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You see, we could say, yeah, I, I, I'd really like to be like God, but man, in your own strength, you're going to fail every single time. It's God's power in you that is giving you that desire to say, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like him. And so Romans 13, 14, Paul echoes to the church in Rome what he's writing to Ephesus, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. 
Kind of reminds me of Lisa, a mom, had a five-year-old son, told him to get ready, get dressed, two words, strike fear in the hearts and lives of little boys, get dressed. He had to go to school. He came out dressed that afternoon after school. He came home, played in the yard, came in for supper. After supper, they played a few table games, and then he had to get ready for bed again. And so Lisa, the mom, went into his bedroom with him to help him get ready, and she realized there was one problem. While he was uh, getting dressed, he had two pair of underwear on. She asked him, hey, hey, how come you've got two pair of underwear on? He said, well, because I had a dirty underwear on, I put a clean pair over them. Um, how about putting clean over dirty doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. And Paul is saying to the church, that's what you're trying to do, man. You've got dirt on you and you try to put clean over you and it's not working. You go back to the previous section in in Ephesians 4 and and Paul is saying we need to take off the old nature. Got to take it off. And too many Christians are walking around, they're comfortable in their sin, and so they hang on to it, and they wonder why, you know, I don't feel fulfilled, I feel so empty. It's because, man, you are carrying the old with you, and you're trying to cover it up with the new. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so, um, just keep in mind, holiness here is not referring to perfection. And that's liberating too because, man, we will not be perfect until we have that glorified body in heaven one day. But we can strive for consistency in our walk with Christ. You know, that's what he wants. That's why we put on Christ. Number two, no lie. Verse 25. So Paul says once we put that new nature on, then he's going to start kind of hitting different areas of life. And so he says to the church, stop telling lies. You put your faith in Christ and you're still lying. That's not right. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Paul's words were relevant to the culture back at Ephesus, and I want, to know, I want you to know they are relevant to, in 2019 as well. Because we're being lied to, friend. I don't know if you realize that you are being lied to consistently. I am being lied to consistently by our culture, by media. We have to be careful what we're listening to. Paul recognized that some of the believers brought this lying mentality into the church, and he said, stop it. In the book of Colossians, Paul writing to the church in Colossae, chapter 3, 9 and 10, he says, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds, put on your new nature. Put it on. In other words, get on with the program. Let God work in you. Let God grow you. Let God mature you. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. There it is again, the job description. Your your goal in life is to be like Christ. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. And I forgot the rest of the words. But there's a song. You can Google it. That's it, man. That's it. So Paul 
is, is addressing a characteristic that was prominent in, in the church. And he w- you know, he's saying, hey, there's no place for this as a follower of Christ. And Jesus himself reminded us that Satan was the father of lies in John 8.44. Listen, um, Paul refers to giving Satan a foothold. And Jesus himself talks about Satan be the father of lies If you're here today and you say, I don't believe in Satan and I don't believe in hell, you're being lied to. Friend, you're being lied to. I don't want to think about Satan and I don't want to think about hell. Friend, you better think about it. Because your decision on whether you put your faith in Christ while you're alive will determine eternity. Eternity. That's forever and ever. And it's important you make that decision to put your faith in Christ. So Jesus is endorsing the fact that there is a devil. Listen to what he says, for you are the children of your father, the devil. If you're not living for Jesus today, if you didn't put your faith in Christ, your father, your heavenly father is the devil. Satan is your leader. You're living for him. Well, I didn't plan that. Well, it's either God or Satan. There's no middle ground There's no gray area. It's the light of Christ or the darkness of sin. It's one or the other. And you get to choose which one it's going to be. The devil, your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. See, you're you're following his character. You're becoming like Satan. If you're not becoming like Jesus, you're becoming like Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You're being lied to. Something's got to rise up inside you to where you see the seriousness of the situation. It's heaven or it's hell. And you've got to decide while you're living. My good friend Pinocchio actually he's not a good friend but if I was being honest (laughs) which I should be oh yeah my bud Pinocchio no he's not my bud Hey, I grew up with uh, I grew up with Pinocchio from the standpoint Disney, you know, had that classic cartoon Pinocchio, and Geppetto, the woodworker who created this this puppet on uh, strings, and of course Pinocchio wanted to become a live boy, but Pinocchio had a, a weakness, and that was to lie, and when he lied, his nose got bigger. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be interesting as human beings if we lied, our nose would get bigger, you know? We, we would look in the mirror in the morning, start to shave, guys, and holy mackerel, where did that thing come from, you know? <gasps> we would start to think about what we were about to say because we didn't want our nose to get any longer, right? It would be, it would be some motivation to think about what's coming out of our mouth, 
So we need to be, we need to be intentional, Paul is saying, on the truth. As followers of Christ, we should be truth tellers, right? We should. Yes, we should. Jesus doesn't lie. Satan lies. So let's follow the character of Christ. Number three, anger-free, verses 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold for the devil. There's that devil again. Believe me, he's not a cartoon figure. He is a real deal. First of all, you need to know that anger by itself is not a sin. Jesus himself became, he had righteous anger when he went into the temple and business folks had come in and turned the church, the temple, into a mall, a mini mall where there was buying and selling. And so Jesus saw that and there was righteous anger on the inside. And it says in Mark eleven fifteen. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Now, first of all, I don't know what kind of image you have of Christ that he's passive and he's, he's, he's just kind of like, hey, can I blow as a whistle in the temple? Can I have your attention? Would you please close up shop and move out? I've been offended by what's going on in here. Is that Jesus? No, no. There is some righteous anger. And when Jesus sees things as they not, they're not as they need to be, there, there's some righteous anger going on. I want you to use your imagination, him turning tables over. There's some raw emotion, but he's not sinning. There is righteous anger. Because he said, you've turned my, this house of worship into a den of thieves. This should be a house of prayer. There's emotion in Christ. But what Paul is talking about identifying is that if, if anger is controlling you, that's sin. That is sin. And so um, we see that um, we need to get a grip on it. You and I should be able to experience righteous anger as Christ did when we see things as wrong, you know, when the innocent are being taken advantage of. That, that should do something to our core and say, that's not right. I need to do something about that. So this morning, we're going to take a quiz. I, uh, the, the first gathering, I called it a test, but that's too intimidating for a Sunday morning. So we'll call it a quiz and see where you land when it comes to controlling your anger, all right? Some people deal with anger like uh, toxic waste. They bury it in the ground. You know, we think toxic waste, when it's buried in the ground, we don't see it. It's done away with. We're safe, we're good to go. But how many of you know that toxic waste in the ground can leak, right? It can leak. And it impacts the water supply. In fact, right up the hill, there's a Dane County garage and, and there's trucks from the county and in the winter, 
they fill the backs with salt, and when they would come back, they would wash the beds of those trucks. And after a period of time, after years, that salt got into the water in this area. We're downhill from the garage. And so when we had the water tested, we had to go way down in, the, in our well to prevent that salt from impacting the water that you drink, the coffee that you drink. That'd be sad, wouldn't it? Have a salty coffee taste, man. That would wreck your day. So we had to drill down deep. Likewise, that toxic waste of anger, we bury it and we think we're good to go. We, you know, we never deal with it. We just bury it. Listen, it will leak out. There will be a day when it leaks out when you least expect it. Number two, you deal with anger like a volcano. You're going to say, well, I've been taking this for too long. Today I'm going to let that person know how I really feel. And you just blow up at them. And the lava just, you just blow up and let it out. Because you deserve to let your feelings be known, right? Hmm. Volcanic people never try to reconcile relationships and they never apologize for being angry. They just blow up and walk away, you know? Third, how about the snow cone way of dealing with it? You just ice people out, you know? They say something to you and you say, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Deep down, man, you're the Arctic Circle right here. You you just ice them out. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to pretend you're not there. You just ice them out. It's not healthy. Or how about the microwave people? Somebody does you wrong and you hit go to the microwave, time, cook five seconds, and boom, they're eliminated. You just cook the other person. They're done with. Boom. So which one of these examples of dealing with anger? Are you the toxic waste person or the volcano that blows up or the snow cone that ices people out, or are you the microwave? You just blow them up. Microwave them. Poof. Gone. Is God trying to get your attention this morning on how you deal with anger? Because if you don't, you're giving Satan himself a foothold, a stronghold. You're inviting him into your home, literally, to live with you. And that's dangerous. Paul recognized that. So, number four. So, we're putting on Christ. We're not lying. We're anger-free. Number four, we're generous. Look at verse 28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Maybe you should go for therapy for a year and, you know, kind of, Wane yourself off of this. No, he says, just quit. Stop it. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to, the, to others in need. Do you realize that, um, a survey was done? Employee theft cost U.S. businesses $50 billion a year. Employees stealing from their companies. Huh? $50 billion a year. 
you know, embezzling, fraud, borrowing office supplies, wasting time at work, failing to pay your bills. You can go on and on for stealing, man. It's applicable. And, and Paul says, don't do it. As a follower of Christ, if you're stealing, you need to stop. And Paul says that instead, use your hands for good hard work. And when you work hard for a living, guess what happens? You become generous. You give freely. Jesus identified that in Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. As a follower of Christ, we should be generous, right? We should be. We should, we should be generous in the body of Christ because Jesus was generous. Not trying to build our own empire. Number five, tongue control, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, how many times do you hear somebody blow off steam and they excuse themselves and they say, well, I just got mad. I really didn't mean what I said. You know, they rationalize. They make excuses why they don't change. Well, we need to realize the things that come out of our mouth, they grieve the Holy Spirit. What we say and how we say it really matters to God. That's what Paul is saying here. So foul or abusive language that Paul uses here, it means corrupt, cursing, vulgar phrases, crude jokes, gossip, slander, filthy talk, obscene language. One of my favorite men in history is George Washington. Back in 1776, he gave an order. This is what it said. The general is sorry to be informed that the foolish and wicked practice of profane cursing and swearing a vice hitherto little known in our American army is growing into fashion. So, so George Washington had heard that cursing and swearing started moving in like a wave across the men. And he says it grieved him. Said he hopes that the officers will, by example as well as influence, endeavor to check it and that both they and the men will reflect that we can little hope of the blessing of heaven on our army if we insult it by our impiety and folly. George Washington said to his men, you stop swearing right now. It's not permissible. Another order he gave, the general most earnestly requires and expects a due observance of those articles of war established for the government of the army which forbid profane cursing, swearing, and drunkenness, and in like manner requires and expects of all officers and soldiers not engaged on actual duty a punctual attendance on divine service, which means if you're not on the battlefield on Sunday, you go to church. To implore the blessing of heaven upon the means used for our safety and defense. 
Washington realized, man, they were fighting the best army in the world, and in order for them to win, they needed God's help. You cannot walk in victory when you're living a compromised life. You cannot. And Washington realized that. And he demanded integrity from the men that were underneath him. And he modeled it in front of them. I was thinking of my own father. When I was growing up, I cannot remember a time when he swore in our house. I cannot remember one time. I saw him get angry at times. Yeah, we all get angry at times. But he modeled something for me. In fact, in our own home with six children, there were times when words were spoken that I did not agree with. And so I would get in front of the son or daughter and say, until you hear me say it, that word is not allowed in my home. Gentlemen, we have become so passive in our culture today that because we hear it in the street, we hear it on television, we think it's okay as a follower of Christ to model what the world is modeling to us. I am saying to you this morning, as Paul is pointing his finger at the church, he's saying it's time to make a difference in your culture. The old nature needs to be dropped off and a new nature needs to be put on. I remember, hey, hey, the black and white movies, you know, pre-60s. No swearing in those movies. It was kind of enjoyable, right? I mean, you could actually sit and enjoy a movie. But in 1960, the, the authorities changed the process and, and swearing began to, to creep into to the movies. A little bit, at, you know, a little bit, and then as time went on, more and more, where it's become embraced in our culture today. It's amazing how many times I hear this. You should hear the women swear. Why? Why? I remember when I was in fourth grade, I was hanging around a dude he swore. So I thought I'd be cool and I'd, I'd try and swear. It was so hard. Really, it was so, I had to really work at swearing, you know? And then when I swore, I felt miserable. Yeah. Why do we do it? Because we want to be, everybody does it. Listen, not only did George Washington prohibit it, but I am so grateful there's men and women in our culture today that do likewise. They don't swear. They don't listen to dirty jokes. They don't allow themselves to be compromised, friend. I'm telling you, people are watching you and they're listening to what comes out of your mouth. I want to challenge you this morning. Model the character of Christ. Not only in your actions, but by the words that come out of your mouth. It takes a real man, a real woman, not to do what everybody else is doing. And so, Paul says, Paul says, tongue control. And you've heard it. 
I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. I don't know what your parents said to you. You know, you loser, you're worthless, whatever the case may be. Or maybe you hurt son or daughter. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you're my son or my daughter. And you spoke blessing over them. And you were spoken over with that kind of blessing. It's incredible, the words, how they impact you. Don't, isn't that right? I, I just challenge you today that you will speak words of life to people, encourage them with God's help. Number six, owned by God's Spirit, verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. First of all, friends, God's Spirit is, it's, he's like you and me. He has feelings. He is not made of stone or brick or wood. He has feelings. And how you live your life and how I live my life will bring joy or grief to him. That's what it says here. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. You're a son and daughter of God. That's what Paul's talking about. That's who you are. Guaranteeing that you will be saved on a day of redemption. Understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person here who experiences joy and grief um, should cause you and I to be motivated to grow spiritually for two reasons. Number one, because we're able to better see how much we're loved. (laughs) The Holy Spirit living in us, how much he loves us. That should be motivation to live in a way that's honoring to him. The second thing is we're motivated to holiness because... How many of us would vote today and say, I, I vote to live my life in a way that would cause pain and grief to the Holy Spirit? I don't, I don't think that comes natural to us. We need to think about it. And we need to ask ourselves, am I grieving God's Spirit? On what's coming out of my mouth and how I'm living my life? I don't want to do that. I choose not to. And sub point one, <clears throat> Paul says, get rid of the bad stuff. Verse 31, get rid of the bad stuff. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Paul is saying, don't, don't bring it in. Don't carry that suitcase of your old nature. And then whenever you want, you open it up and you put on this stuff. Get rid of it. Get rid of the bad stuff that's influencing you, that's impacting you, that's preventing you from modeling the life of Christ. Second, be like Christ. Verse 32. So once we get rid of that, get rid of it. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Be kind. (laughs) That's tough today, isn't it? Hmm. People are struggling with being kind, but Paul says be kind. Be tender-hearted. That means compassionate. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ forgave you. Just because Jesus forgave you your sins, you should likewise in turn forgive those that hurt you. From the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. After he had been tortured and nailed to a cross, mocked and made fun of. 
Let it be like Christ. This morning, if we would say, you know, if you talked to somebody who is not a follower of Christ for two minutes, you can almost certainly hear a list of complaints that they have about Christians. In fact, you've heard me say this before, that Mahatma Gandhi famously and sadly said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Do you see that? Do you hear that? People are watching. That's why Paul hit it hard at the church of Ephesus. People are watching and they're listening. Why? Why would anybody become a follower of Christ if we're just like everybody else? Let the character of Christ be lived in and through you and let his power allow that to happen. And Father, we thank you today. As Paul challenged the church to be like Christ. And Lord, we are reminded that if we don't read the Bible, if we stay away from it, then we find it so easily to assimilate into the culture around us. But today, because we had the privilege of of reading your word and hearing it, we can apply it. And maybe we've just kind of become mm, apathetic. Uh, We're just kind of coasting, allowing the world to direct where we go and how we live. Forgive us, Lord, on these issues that Paul addressed. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to each of us uh, individually and personally of areas that we need to allow the power of God to work in. So have your way in our lives, Lord. Have your way in our lives. This morning when I was coming out of the house, walking to the garage, I, I got bombarded by snow. And nobody was throwing, the squirrels weren't even throwing snow. I was like, man, this is soft snow. What? Take this guy out. But he was falling from the trees. Uh, and so I kind of had a duck, you know, and get into the garage as fast as I could. But what was happening was the sun was warming the trees so the snow couldn't stick to it anymore. And I thought, what a picture that is as a follower of Christ when the warmth of Christ is allowed to be lived in and through us. All these things that Paul addressed should be falling off of us naturally. Lying, stealing, corrupt speech, anger. It should just fall off. Christ to be who he is those things will fall off for God's honor and glory let it happen
in your life. In Jesus' name, amen.